0: Hey folks, my name is Chris and I am host of the Seller Spark Show. And we were off the air last week, took a little bit of a break, but we're back today to talk about the Supreme Court. And I know that the presidential debate was last night and I discussed that on my channel today. But today's topic is going to be about the Supreme Court. And how the Supreme Court is going to change now that President Trump has made this nomination to fill the vacancy of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And before I go any further, I just want to say that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a real champion for women's rights and progress. And she advocated for that throughout most of her life. So in the wake of her death, it really, caused a political battle to start between President Trump and the Republicans and the Democrats, and the Democrats started to bring up the confirmation battle over Merrick Garland, who was President Obama's nominee to fill the vacancy left by the late Justice Antonin Scalia. And as we know, that Garland's nomination lapsed back in 2016, and President Trump won the election and took office, and then subsequently nominated Justice Gorsuch to to fill that seat. So President Trump decided to nominate Amy Coney Barrett of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. And the President derives this authority from the Constitution in Article 2, Section 2, Clause 2, which is known as the Appointments Clause. And that's where the President derives his appointment power. And the clause also allows the President to nominate and appoint officials with the advice of the Senate. And it's, that's very important because each nominee really should be thoroughly investigated and vetted based on their credentials and that alone. And many will say that Amy Coney Barrett will allow her faith to get in the way of her rulings, and I couldn't disagree further. And she said that. She said that she will be... and I'm paraphrasing that she would be impartial and fair for the American people. And she has a, an extensive record in academia and as a, as a jurist as well, as a judge. So I wouldn't doubt it, but the Senate definitely should thoroughly review it and come to a determination but a little bit more on Barrett, Judge Barrett. So she's a devout Catholic and has seven children. She also was a law professor at the University of Notre Dame and an extensive career there. And she also clerked for the late Justice Antonin Scalia and has a similar ideology. So, something of note that is important has to be the divergence between Justice Barrett's, excuse me, Judge, soon to be Justice Barrett, and Justice Ginsburg's two ideologies. So Judge Barrett's ideology would be considered originalism. So originalism is a judicial philosophy that takes into account the original intentions of the founders at the time of the writing of the Constitution. And many would say, that opponents would say, that's really hard to predict. Like, how can you speculate on the founders of a nation so long ago? But originalists would argue that It's obvious in their intent through their writings of the founders what they meant, but it's debatable. So that's really the ideology. And also she tends to be a textualist, which means that the ruling's derive from the text itself and what it means in terms of that objective standard and not any other interpretation. But as we see as a contrast, Justice Ginsburg had a different approach, which was more in line with the living constitution stance. And the living constitution really had to do with taking recent events into account, taking precedent into account, the way the law has changed over time, and how it's adapting to these new circumstances that are happening. And that's really what Justice Ginsburg was in favor of, as a jurist. So you could see the differing philosophies there of, of the law. And I'm not a lawyer, but I, I did study some of these issues and some some of the important provisions in the Constitution. And something that was convincing that I found and I'm quoting from my blog as well, but this is a, an important quote that I wanted to leave you with in terms of a few quotes, actually, in terms of Amy Coney Barrett's position on the issues and many many of her opponents say that she will overturn Roe v. Wade and and that's what will happen if she's on the court, but that can be speculated on. And it really, no, no one really could determine that. Determine that now, but something that will be definitely uh, under consideration is less funding for abortions. And I'm going to read you this quote here that I have from, and this is from uh, Crux now. So, quote: I think it is very unlikely at this point that the court is going to overturn Roe v. Wade the fundamental element that the woman has a right to choose abortion will probably stand, end quote. And that was from an excerpt from Amy Coney Barrett's 2013 lecture at Notre Dame on the 40th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade ruling. So it sounds to me that Judge Barrett believes that from that quote alone, that that sounds like it's settled law and there's really not much the court could do to just overturn that itself in terms of setting a precedent. But if the opportunity's there to reduce funding, it's definitely possible that they may explore that because it's, and I'm going to talk about this later in the episode, but it, it tilts the court into a conservative ideology more in that favor So moving on here. So abortion would stand in terms as of now in terms of its constitutionality of the of the woman's right to seek those services. But it's definitely going to change a lot of things on the court going into the into the future this appointment of judge barrett is going to change many things so many people worry about the about abortion as well as religious freedom among other issues and this appointment's going to tilt the like I said before the ideology ideology ideological excuse me that that word stuff ideological balance of the high court And it's going to tilt the court more to the right. And as we know, John Roberts, the Chief Justice, tends to be the swing vote in many of the cases, but it's going to shift to the right, and Judge Cav- Justice Kavanaugh will now be the swing vote in terms of these cases. But A fact that I had in my blog was that historically, since the 1960s, this will be the first time that the US Supreme Court, I said, will not be balanced with a conservative to liberal ratio. And also, not since the 1930s, was there a conservative majority on the Supreme Court. So this means for the first time in about 100 years, we're seeing a significant shift in the Supreme Court, and we may not see it shift again for a long time. And many of these justices serve for 30 to 40 years and serve for life, so they definitely have an influence in terms of the issues, in terms of policy, and in terms of determining What laws stand, what laws are constitutional, and what laws are not. And I'd also argue it uh, would also provide latitude for a president based on their party. So, for example, if you have a Democratic president and they have an executive order, depending on what it is, it could be unconstitutional because you have a more conservative court that doesn't really have an expansive view of the law. So that's just an example. It's going to be harder for democratic presidents in the next 50 years to, and and this is just my judgment right now, but to unilaterally do things without going through Congress first. So that's just something of note, but some infl- excuse me some implications for the future so as we saw in the debate last night president trump challenged joe biden and democratic nominee joe biden got a question received a question about court packing and it tends to be a controversial issue And there's nothing that really would prohibit modifying the Supreme Court and the number of its seats, but many are against it because it would upset the balance of power. But advocates say that it would make the Supreme Court more balanced if you add more seats. The Supreme Court's number of seats is set by Congress, set by statute now. But it could be modified, I believe, by Congress as well. And also in former VP Biden chose not to answer the question, leaving it up to the American people to decide that. But his opponent, President Trump, has derided that and said that the people have already made up their minds. So that brings us to the next part of this discussion about the implications for the future and the 2020 election. So President Trump really doubts the integrity of the election. And he's already setting up a defense just in case it is subject to widespread fraud, and there's an unclear result that he has a defense to it, and he is going to appoint a judge just in case this election goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. And this leads me to, to my next point of the 2000 presidential election. So in case you all don't recall, the two in the 2000 presidential election Florida had a big controversy over their method of voting and I'm merely going to summarize it right now. But Florida had these types of ballots where there were butterfly ballots and there was the case of the hanging chads where voters poked a, a hole through the ballot and the, the hole in the ballot needed to go into the basket. And some ballots did not go into the basket and were deemed invalid. And so there was a big controversy over that. And then it was so close that Florida needed to go to a recount. So Florida went to a recount and then after the recount, Bush's margin went down. So Bush actually had won the state with 48.8%, but then his margin of victory went and, and decreased. So, and that was, that was mandated, like they needed to do that because it was so, the margin was so small and they needed to determine a winner at that time. but there was a big voting there was a big controversy in terms of the voting and in terms of the method of voting and then the in short the the results of the election well both candidates sued in court and then got a writ and then it went to the Supreme Court. And all the conservatives sided with Bush and all the liberals sided with Gore. So in a five to four decision, now this is going to be important in possibly in this election, if this election goes to the Supreme Court again, based on that legal precedent is, is my point here. Based on the legal precedent that was set in this case in Bush v. Gore, it's important to note this because this, like I said, sets the precedent that a statewide recount would violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And that's interesting. It was an interesting holding there where the manual recount was deemed unconstitutional as well. And the recount was stopped. So many said that had there been a statewide recount, Gore would have won, and I have to disagree with that. I have to dispel that. Bush would have won either way. If there was a statewide recount or not, Bush would have prevailed. And Gore sought not to challenge the results after that, for the sake of our democracy, but I definitely don't see that happening in this election. If there is clear fraud or if something's not right, if there are some shenanigans going on, I could see President Trump challenging the results. And then what happens from there is uncertain. Because we've never had a crisis like that in the past. But imagine having more than one Florida. So ex- as an example, imagine, ha- excuse me, imagine having a scenario where you have 10 states that are as close as Florida or don't have a clear result. You have ballots missing or they're not correctly postmarked or they're not following state procedures for that, for how the votes need to be submitted. And then a lot of votes are invalidated. And you have this legal precedent in Bush v. Gore with the absence of a statewide recount because of it violating the Equal Protection Clause. That is going to favor President Trump. That's going to favor conservatives because it's now a law, it's basically the law. Whatever is determined by the Supreme Court is important to setting that precedent for what is going to happen in the future, and this is one of the few cases that does this. So I think this is going to be referenced, if if it does get to that point, this is something that both sides are going to have to take into consideration. So no doubt that Amy Coney Barrett will be confirmed as a justice. I mean, the Democrats can stall for as long as possible, but the Republicans control the Senate and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said that there will be a vote before the election. Democrats are going to try and stall it. They could stall it until after the election, try to filibuster, but the Republicans have the votes because they have a majority. So you will have a ninth justice on the Supreme Court either before or after Election Day, regardless of the result of the election. And then it remains to be seen how the votes are going to be counted, if they're going to be counted in time, if we're going to have a winner on Election Day or Election Night or not. And that's going to have implications for our democracy or a democratic republic. And whatever happens, we hope that we're going to have a peaceful transfer of power. And if the result is clear, I don't doubt that whatsoever. Otherwise, it will have to be settled by the Supreme Court, in my view. So, that's really all I have and all I wanted to let you know today about this issue, about this topic. So, I'm interested to hear your thoughts and let me know on the channel or on social media as well at Stellar Spark Studios, and I'd be happy to engage in that dialogue with you. But that's really all I have for today and I hope you enjoyed listening and thanks for listening to me and staying with me throughout this. I appreciate that. And consider supporting the podcast as always, keeping this podcast going, keeping the channel going. It's much appreciated, all your support. So I'm going to leave it there and there'll be some more presidential debates soon and the election is under 40 days away. So your vote matters and make sure to make your voices heard. And I'll keep discussing the issues and lead up to Election Day. Once again, thank you. And my name is Chris. I am host of the Stellar Spark Show, signing off. Until next time.